Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Uh, let's do it real quick. God is exalted. The devil is defeated. And we've got the victory. Come on, God is exalted. The devil is defeated. And we've got the victory. Say it like you got the Holy Ghost. God is exalted. The devil is defeated. And I still got the victory. Come on, you got one more praise in you. If you believe that, put those hands together. Hallelujah. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. I will not be before you very long. It is an honor to be here to all of y'all. Hey, um, um, Dr. Dumas, I love you. Um, Dr. Phyllis J, mothers are wonderful. And uh, Gigi, love you. All everybody, Yaya, everybody is so wonderful to me. Um, it's good to be here. Um, I'm going to give you a word from the Lord. And normally, when I don't want to be a place, I preach something I've already preached. <laughs> so when I do want to be in a, pra- a place, I preach something I ain't never preached before. So I have a word I ain't never preached before. And um, <laughs> I'm going to share it with you. Uh, man, to this amazing worship team, I don't think I've ever... Um, and I've been a part of this history since its inception. And I ain't never seen the worship team be like this. Um, whatever y'all are doing. It's amazing. I didn't know whether to keep worshiping or get distracted. I'm like, oh, they playing, playing. They, 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 you know. There was a man by the name of Bob. Many of you don't know him. And, and Bob was the first in the first year of this church and he had a banjo he would play this ain't Bob over here <laughs> but Scott then hung in there and uh, gotten better so I'm just so pleased at worship t- <laughs> so it's good to see you let's go to Psalms the first chapter the first chapter of Psalms I have a word for you, and if you hear it right, uh, this is going to be a weapon for the rest of your, ye- your year. How many know the Bible says that there are weapons, the weapons, plural? Sometimes one of the things we do in the church is we only use one or two. This weapon is important for you today. Psalms chapter 1 is only six verses, and if you are a traumatized church child as I am, you about know this by heart. But it says, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be, these next three words, I need you to scream with everything in you. You ready? He shall be, and he will be planted by the rivers of water. That bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf will not wither. Hallelujah. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Our thought is in verse 3 at the 8 clause. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth fruit in his season. 
and his leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Father, you're a much better preacher than I am. This is on you. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, just for a couple of minutes, I'm talking to you from the subject like a tree, just like a tree. Um, this is something that has become very important to me uh, as a minister to gifted men and a minister to gifted churches and also um, as a voice and a support uh, to people that are anti or non-church. Uh, this chapter has become extremely important to me uh, in this season of my life and uh, I want to teach you some things and then we go holler and act real black. First of all, uh, it is important that you make note of the fact that one of the anointings on this whole movement is the anointing of the psalmist. There are a lot of earmarks on this house. There are a lot of earmarks on our whole movement. But one of the things that you don't see at first glance is that it has the mantle of a warrior, the crown of a king, but the heart of the poet. At the core of who we are, we are poets. And it's not just because we are prophetic, but God has given this movement a way to see a thing. Say yes. And uh, because we have a way to see a thing, we also have a way to say a thing. And it is in the language and it is in the dialogue and it is in the the dialect that there is a draw and there is an influence because one of the things we don't talk is churchies. We don't speak Christianese and we don't do so on purpose because we're trying to reach and we're trying to minister to people that are still strangers to God. And so I love the study of the book of Psalms. We ought to pay much more attention to the richness in it. As a historic book, it is comprised of several authors. Some say about 20 to 30, uh, but the dominant figurehead of the book of Psalms is consistently attributed to David. And we know that the anointings on David were prophet, priest, and king. One of the only Old Testament figures that received more than one mark of oil. And uh, if you study David's life, you see that there is drama and there is trauma of every kind and every sort. You also see that the life he lived qualified him to be the ancestral line by which the Savior would come. It was not an accident, nor was it a mistake. Had Saul continued in his reign, we wouldn't have had a Savior. But it, made, it, it took for Saul to make the mistake he made so that the Messiah could come through the right family line. Say yes. And one of the things born from the life of David is a book of Psalms. It's the, the writings, and in them you have poems. You have lyrics to music. There are certain psalms that start off by saying to the chief musician. And, and uh, so there are directives and there are directives for people who know how to put history to paper and who know how to put writings to paper. And so it's filled with all kind of allegory and parable and all kind of rich wisdom. If you look at the book at first glance, you miss that the ultimate point of this book is to reveal Jesus. And uh, when we made this book just about noise and praise, we missed that the deeper meaning of the book of Psalms was to gradually unveil the character of God. Because one of the things that you've got to admit is that we know a lot about what God said and we know a lot about what God wants, allegedly, but we're still struggling to journey into his personality. Uh, we, we live in a generation that is subconsciously mad at God because of what they experienced in the church and she's done a bad job at accurately exhibiting who he is and what he thinks uh, and so subsequently we are in a crisis now because those that would want to get to him God put it in the heart of every life to want him have this barrier in the way called religious people I always thank God every day that he is nothing like his people 
One of the things I'm most grateful for is that he is more patient than his people. He is more kind than his people. He's more consistent than his people. And so we have inherited, watch me, the powerful crisis of separating people's assumptions about God and creating a way for them to get to him for real. Uh, Creating a path through praise and worship to get to God for real. And this is what the book of Psalms offers us. It's not just a pathway into an act of praise or an act of worship but what the book of Psalms offers us is a path into the presence of God that is the whole objective of praise and worship praise and worship is not just a place of therapy and rehab praise and worship the objective of it is the presence of God and the objective of worship is the presence of God not just so you can feel something the objective of getting God in the room is so that whatever he is finds whatever you ain't and makes the necessary adjustments for him to get in there put those hands together for the present I feel like preaching already I said clap those hands for the presence of the Lord we live in a culture where the value system hallelujah for the presence of God has decreased men like convenience they like atmosphere but they don't know how to respond when the weight of God is in the room and then they don't know why God comes off of his throne and allows his omniscient to come upon a filthy man I was always taught that you got to be clean enough to deserve his presence but then it made no sense when I started to see how a powerful holy God loved to be around dirty stories it's because the righteous don't need the glory it's the broken that needs the glory and I don't have to earn what he already enjoys to do clap those hands for the presence of Oh, you ought to shout because you don't go to a church that lives in the memory of God. You ought to shout because this is not a museum or a mausoleum. You ought to shout because every Sunday, whether the church is full, whether the pastors are here, I'm going to fill a little drip somewhere. It's his presence. So the presence of God, pay attention is the doorway to perceiving the personality of God. Nobody learns God's personality without time in his presence. You don't know what he sounds like and you don't know what he wants. You don't know his emotions and what moves him. Now there's a theological principle now called the mention of first things, the principle of first mention. If we look at it in a narrative, if we look at it in an English letter, if you study the English language and every subsequent language on the earth, you realize that there is a principle of introduction. There is a principle of salutation. It is the same way in the word of God. Pay attention or you leave me. It's the same way in the Bible. What that means is that whatever I say first has got to set the tone whatever comes out of my mouth now watch me is going to create expectation in you expectation is not created by the conclusion the conclusion bears the weight of the body of the language but whatever I say first needs to be paid attention for if I walk up to you and say my name is Matthew L. Stevenson the third EDD then you know to expect an intelligent man you know to expect somebody who has a career you know who expects somebody that ain't just interested in doing church stuff that there was a career that preceded your knowledge of me you know to anticipate that whatever I say watch me has some expertise behind it because I didn't get honorary. I went through. Now no shade to those of you that did. I'm just saying you know what to expect. Get mad now. You know exactly how to open up the door. When you introduce yourself, my name is Keisha. My name is Ray. Now we know, watch me, to attribute your following statements to whatever has happened to that life and whatever has happened to that name. At the conclusion of your life, you should have a last will and testament. If you are in here and you don't have a will, I'm giving your family permission to donate your 
nobody. I'm not taking on your debt because you weren't prepared to die. I think it's an irresponsible thing. I'm working in here for you to live all your life and not put no money away for us to bury your tail. You are going to be worms food on your own bill. I got kids to pay for. Come on church. Don't you end up on a GoFundMe. Prepare to die. Why can't you say something? Save to die. Save to go on. At the conclusion of your life. Sorry there was a word for somebody. At the conclusion there is a last will and testament. Pay attention. What the last will determines is what was most important to you. Basically the latter part of that statement is this is what I've learned. This is how long I've worked. This is what I worked to give my children, my family, blah, 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 blah. And the last will is the official document that entitles men to what I have. So it makes sense. Not only are we in the Old Testament, which is the first thing we read about God. It's not the first thing about God because he's Alpha and Omega, which means he ain't got no beginning. And what happens is we use this Bible to bully people as if it's the only thing about God. Meaning, you don't even really understand Genesis until you read Revelation. Let me stick to my text. You don't understand that God was doing something before you met him. You act like the book of Genesis is the beginning of the story of God and it's not. It's the beginning of his conversations with man. He was busy before Adam got there. He had a whole civilization, a whole culture, a whole thing he occupied himself with before y'all met him. I had to open that up by teaching you that Psalms 1 is not just a powerful Sunday school lesson. It literally sets the tone for the rest of the book of Psalms. If you don't open up Psalms 1 accurately, you miss everything in the book of Psalms, even Psalm 23. And then you miss Psalms 119. Then you miss Psalm 34. You mean Psalms 150. You you miss all of that because you read it and investigate it without the introductory statement. It's as if you're reading a letter saying, dear blank. So now you don't know exactly what the writer intends to communicate until you adequately scrutinize Psalms 1. And what Psalms 1 gives us is the revelation of a tree. (laughs) I know that's not as deep as you want it. And I know that that's not Greek and Hebrew. And I realize that it ain't got nothing to do with ancient Egypt. But I'm amazed at the power of the word of God when it comes to a tree. First of all, to substantiate my claim, do you realize Satan had a conversation in in, in heaven? This conversation in heaven is revealed in the book of Ezekiel. I will lift my throne above the most high. I will cast my stars above the throne of God. I will establish myself in the assembly. I want to be God. And God said, appreciate everything you just said, but what I'm going to do is get rid of you, and I'm going to use dirt to defeat you. So you will now find yourself in an environment where dirty things have dominion. Point number two. And uh, when he establishes that, now all of a sudden, we see the first conversation with Lucifer and a man. Pay attention, it'll bless you if you let it. We see the first conversation. I want you to stay in Genesis 3, but now fast forward with me all the way to the book of Matthew. When Jesus, who is God, I wish folk would get that. I said, Jesus, who is God? Right now in my life, I got a whole lot that I'm uncertain about. So what I've started to say all over again is one thing I know for sure is that Jesus is God. If ain't nothing else certain for me, I'm that old school where I could shout and dance off the fact that Jesus is God. People are crazy and Jesus is God folk are unfair but Jesus is God even in California where folk don't like to commit and keep their word Jesus is still God would you elbow somebody say Jesus is God and if the man is God when I do it's gonna be B flat when the man is God 
because the man is God, here's what ended up happening. He told us what to expect from the character of Satan. I'm getting there in a minute. He told us that one of the things you can know, uh, Mother Sombrano, about Satan is that he don't have it in him to tell the truth. Woo, I feel my preach God. He doesn't have it in him to tell the truth. The only limitation of Satan is facts and factuality. But you've got to resolve that everything that's factual is not the truth. Because the truth may contain a fact. But the truth is a man whose name is Christ Jesus. He said, I am the way. I feel like preaching. I am the truth. So you don't have a truth to have. Because truth is a man whose name is Jesus. And if Jesus is the truth, that he cannot be inside of Satan. This is why Jesus said about Satan, watch him. He is the father, God I love your word, of every lie. Pay attention. That means that every lie that's told on the earth is a subcontractor. It means that the source of that lie has to be the devil somewhere. Every liar you know works for the liar. There are not many liars. There's only one who subcontracts and who invests himself in the lies of other people. The thief cometh not before to steal. So there's only one personality profile of a liar and his name is Satan. And the Bible says he is the father of lies. The father of lies. The father of lies. And the truth, pay attention, the truth is not in him. Knowing that as a character profile of the devil, we find his first statement on the planet. And we've read it so many times. And we've saw it in movies so many times that we miss how powerful this is. I bet you did not realize that the first thing the devil said on earth was about a tree. We, we were so busy digging around the issue of the angels and the issue of, of Eve and the issue of all that that we missed at the very first thing using the principle of first mention that came out of the mouth of Satan was go and eat of the fruit of the tree of life because in that day the devil that God knows that if you eat that tree you'll be like him but typical to how double-tongued he is what, I, what he didn't realize was God had already made Adam in the image and light of God so what he was trying to do was tempt Adam uh, by making him think that he did not have what he already did he used a strategy uh, of postponed gratification to make Adam try to do something before God uh, not knowing that God had already did uh, what Satan was trying to get Adam to think that he did not do uh, slap somebody upside the head and say he's still a liar Obey me, Zion. Tell somebody he's still a liar. Tell somebody else he's still a liar. Now I got a whole text to preach, but I feel like I got to encourage somebody. I don't know what hell is saying to you or what hell is saying about you, but slap somebody say he's still a liar. Eat of the tree. The tree. Now I'm trying to make my human self imagine of all the things that belonged in the Garden of Eden, why was the core of this picture a tree? And uh, exactly what was the Elohim trying to communicate by allowing Adam to have access to all of these except this? And then the fruit that was on this tree was the knowledge of good and evil. I submit to you today for those of you that with their journey into the depth of this text that that tree was a preeminent version of Jesus Christ. See, see, see y'all think that the Jesus didn't get here into Matthew 1. But my Bible tells me he was there from before the foundations of the world. If you don't ask me, who do you think was wrestling with 
Jacob? Who do you think was in the lion's den? Who do you think went down in the burning bush? Look at somebody say, he was always there. Ezekiel saw him in a wheel. He was always there. He was the one that walked through with Moses. And if you make Jesus the New Testament, you can't make him the word. He did not get here when the reds turned world, worse turned red. He was always there. So there are many appearances of Jesus. Many appearances of Jesus. And I believe that the first way he appeared was a tree. Hallelujah. The first way he appeared was a one who knew everything that needed to be known. And the reason Adam shouldn't have ate from that tree, pay attention, is because God knew if you ever know everything the son knows, you're going to break down in your psychological self. If you know everything that God knows, you'll never have the blood capacity or the emotional bandwidth to stand under everything that God knows. And isn't that what happens to us today? We got stressed out about the stuff that God knows that we don't know. When we're trying to put ourselves in the seat of God and usurp his sovereignty, it's because we have to know what he knows. But I'm calling you into a new realm of maturity. I want you to go into the latter part of this year shouting because I don't know what God knows. Dancing because I don't know what God knows. It's not my job to figure out how and who and why and when. My job is to obey what he said to me. So I get great privilege out of saying, I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't know when he's going to make it. I don't know who he's going to use. All I know is he is. And because he is, he's going to do everything he said he would do. Shout hallelujah. Satan, watch me, was trying to push Adam in his same temptation. Satan wanted to be God. So what he tried to do was get Adam to also want to be God. He wanted to push him in the seat of supreme knowledge and push him in the seat of sovereign understanding. So we see that if the devil's first threat was a conversation about a tree, should we examine Psalms 1 a little differently? If, if, if at the beginning of the book and then again at the end of the book, and the Bible says in Revelation is that in the healing of the tree is going to be the healing of nations. Makes it seem like to you and I, if we are diligent students of the word, so proud self, that we've got to make it a goal of ours not to just be wonderful and not to just be impressive and not to just be thin and not to just be rich do you know what the devil wants out of you he wants you to be everything but a tree he, he, want, he wants you to be a, a little bit of grass every now and then and he wants you to be a little pear every now and then but there's about 27 of you that's going to leave here like a tree and what that means is that devil I don't care what you do my root have already gone deep Jesus said he was a tree so if I'm going to be like him I've got to be like so psalmist psalmist David opens this up by giving you six principles and I'm on my, on my way out of here number one blessed is the man happy 
fortunate, privileged. You see, the word blessed means to be always given the advantage. Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. As we are identifying the characteristics of this tree issue, the first thing that the psalmist writes is that when you are made this way, you've got to take heed to your counsel. I cannot tell you how many ministers are failing because of bad counsel. How many business owners are broke because of bad counsel. How many folk got to abuse and use and manipulate and malign to make money and lie, cheat, and steal because they won't take good counsel. The thing that you got to realize in your life is that your future is on the premise of your advisors. Your future is in the hand of your advisor. The Bible says by wise counsel, a man wages his war, which means that it's dangerous to be engaged in a war if you don't have a real cabinet. You got to have folk who understand battle principle around you or you not overtake this war. Listen, even the thing you're called to will kill you if you don't have the right counsel. You can legitimately be assigned to it and fail at it because you're too arrogant and too proud and too boastful to believe in anointed counsel. And he says, this guy cannot take counsel from the ungodly and then he can't stand in the way of sinners and then the latter part of verse 1 says he will not sit pay attention because some of you in here now in the seat of the scornful now here's the thing that I never knew one of the objectives of jealousy is to occupy seats oh yeah I feel you're kicking it I don't care the jealous want a seat and when you don't give the envious of seat then the actual root term for scorn means to stare at the eye like some of y'all trying do now what they do is they do eyeball manipulation lady i eat jezebel for breakfast this is not what you want i don't play games with witches in here how many of you know the scornful can't have a seat in here i can't hear you i said how many of you know the scornful can't have a seat in here don't be mad because god uses me i didn't ask to be this anointed i didn't ask to be raised up you're envying something i didn't even ask for what you should be doing is getting under so you don't want to get run over Shout hallelujah! They don't sit in the seat of the scornful. They don't have arguments about positions and platform. They don't have arguments about who's the favorite. They don't have arguments about who gets to sit where. They don't have arguments about who gets to carry the water. They don't have arguments about who gets to plug where. The scornful love seats. They want to be able to have their scorn be positioned. Why? The jealous won't influence. There is no such thing as a quiet, jealous person. Everybody that's jealous is going to be vocal because they want to use their jealousy. Work me through here to ruin the atmosphere of a church and ruin the climate of an organization. If you find a jealous person around your life or in your company, the best thing you can do is put that booger on mute. Choose to ignore. I believe that you got Bible to ignore certain folk. You don't have to always react and respond. Sometimes you can look at them and act like you don't hear them talking. I hear the Lord saying, whoa, 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 I believe God is delivering you from the hand of jealous men and the hand of jealous women and the hand of jealous family members. Shout hallelujah. He says he don't sit there. Pay attention. But what he does is he finds his delight in the law of the Lord. I'm getting to my point. 
the, the, the thing that makes him happy are the things God says. He finds his joy in meditating. Now, we're wa- watching this because what you did not know is that a tree has a psychological profile. And, and the way this tree is set up is by the power of their meditation. The greatest war on your life right now is not going to be cancer or diabetes or attack externally. What the enemy has done is release the spirit of mental insanity in the earth. It's a strong spirit of lunacy. Never again in a generation have we seen people walk into a store, lick food and put it back for some type of gratification. It's a demon. And what we like to do is we like to look at issues and think that they're not rooted in demonic behavior. No, one of the things that I'm grateful for is that I know the devil when I see it, even when they're speaking with tongues. And one of the things you got to realize is if you don't change your meditation, uh, the devil's going to give you a nervous breakdown. This is what hell wants for you. Pay attention. The devil wants to look at you prophesy and look at you run and look at you dance and look at you sing and take you home to the stronghold. Now, a stronghold by Bible definition is a pattern at a train of thought and many of you were shouting and dancing at this altar when your mind is moments from a nervous we've not done a good job Barry at teaching people what to do with mental warfare we've been binding Jezebel and Delilah and all of that and nobody's been asking God to be a physician of the soul and to regulate the mind even though we cast out devils we still leave the damage and the damage is the doorway for the devil to begin with at the altar all we do is unseat the power but you still got to enroll in a process and there's a lot of you that the power left but you were too punk to go through a process the devil is after your mind he does not want you to have clarity preach negro he does not want you to have focus he does not want you to be disciplined he wants you to be double minded ask me why because a double minded man is on here go my point on here go my point unstable not in some of his ways but in all of his ways meditation Meditation. A tree has a focus. A tree has a focus. When you put a tree somewhere, it does not change its angle. A tree is stayed still, looking at one thing. And the meaning of the word meditation is to repeat all over again, which shows us that the inversion of meditation is torment. When you rethink and relive and rehearse and recycle, you are doing meditation for the kingdom of darkness. You've got to learn how to take every thought captive. I feel the Holy Ghost. Some of you in here are going to the next level. Not because you're getting a new anointing, but you're learning how to take thoughts captive. You are not going to allow the devil to give you brain damage on the behalf of church people. If I think it, I've got a word that can combat every thought I have. Come on, you are about to get to victory in your psychological self. You are about to get the victory in your thoughts, your thoughts, your thoughts, your thoughts. Hallelujah. Come on, I want to hear you praise him. If you believe God's going to give you a mental miracle, a miracle in your mind, shout. This is his delight. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And he don't meditate on what people do wrong. He don't meditate on who hurt him. 
He don't meditate on who wronged him. Pepta, he don't meditate on what they don't have. What they do is they meditate in the law of the Lord. And because the devil got a plan for the daytime, I've got a meditation for the morning. And because the devil got a plan for the nighttime, I got a meditation before I go to bed. But one of the things you are not going to have, devil, is access to my mind. I didn't get saved for you to have my head. Didn't get filled with the Holy Ghost for you to have my head. Come on, take your mind back. If you can think it, you can have it. Take your mind back. Your relationships are up there. Your business plan is up there. Your prosperity is up there. Slap three people say, take your mind back. Come on, say, take your mind back. Come on, tell three people, take your mind back. Don't you go home and meditate on the devil. Don't you go home and relive bad memories. I call you out of trauma in Jesus' name. Many of you have been suffering from emotional PTSD. But God's going to give you a mental miracle. And you believe it? Shout hallelujah. Woo. Woo. It is law. Woo. Woo. He meditates in a day and night. You've got to have a message in your mind for the morning and a message in your head before you go to bed. The last thing you think on has access to your sleep realm. So if you're laying on your bed and the last thing on your mind is bills, then what you've opened your body to is a spirit of anxiety. That's why you're sleeping and don't feel rested because you're not meditating at the midnight hour. The last thing you ought to say before you go to bed is hallelujah. I feel like preaching in here. The last thing you want to say before you go to bed is thank you, Jesus. Why? If you allow gratitude to come in your bedroom and gratitude to come in your sleep, then the devil has no access to your dreams. You want to tell that Negro, my mind is reserved for God. No more nightmares. I'm only dreaming the dream that come from God. In the name of Jesus, I command your body to be set free from nightmares, night terror. Night attack, night anxiety. Get ready. Here's your prophecy. Tonight you're going to sleep. You ought to praise him right there. Hallelujah. I feel the glory. I said, tell somebody tonight you're going to sleep. Night, night. Go home and pull up your cover. Lay on your bed. Knowing that everything God said he was going to do, he's still going to do it. He gives his beloved sleep. Tell somebody, go to bed, go to bed, go to bed. Woo! I wish I had a praiser. They could thank God for good sleep. I wish I had a praiser. They could thank God for real rest. Woo! Listen. Hey, 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 hey. Woo. Listen, when this man, sit down, I got 13 minutes. When this meditation is regulated, glory to the son of God. When this meditation is in order, when negativity is out of his mind, when the only thing before him is what God said, this man's identity is going to change. He shall be like a tree. Listen, one of the most faithful spiritual things you can do and one of the things that you're going to be faced with in your life that requires the most faith is to stay planted well I feel you're kicking and I don't care staying planted is the most spiritual thing you can ever do it is not an issue of ignorance and an issue of naivety 
planted people prosper. And the problem is, when your meditation is not right, you're going to be justified in willfully uprooting things because you despise having to be planted. Say like a tree. Say like a tree. And he's not going to be any tree. He will not only be planted, he will be positioned in a very specific way. Now, he could put a tree anywhere. He could put a tree over there, over there. But the Bible says when you become like a tree, your meditation is right. You're not listening to the wrong counsel. I'll place you by a river. Glory to the Son of God. You won't have to lie to find it. You won't have to develop a blue check on Instagram to find it. You will be looking for resources that always find you. Because not only are you planted, you're postured. And there's a lot of us who are planted by the wrong thing. But God's trying to put you by a river so that even when the drought comes, you ain't got to reach real far to find the source. So that even when the seasons change, you ain't got to reach real far to get you a drink. If you ain't had a drink in a long time, if you've never had water in a long time, I would ask myself, how am I postured? You can't get a drink if you're standing high because the poor is always low. You got to get postured. Who am I preaching to in this Anglican church? The reason that devil wants your mind is so that you can move away from what God told you to move away from but if God called you to that business tell the devil I'm not moving if God called you to that city tell hell I ain't moving if God called you to that peace tell the devil I'm not moving that's your problem you're asking God for miracles but all you need to do is stop moving you got to have stability in this season that's the word of the Lord to you the devil wants your stability because if you're not stable you won't be able to start stabilize yourself the weapon the weapon of stability is something we don't hear enough about but think about how reliable a talented unstable person is an intelligent unstable person the devil is after your stability but he says, if you are a tree, I'm going to plant you by water. This is my promise. This is why I fight and contend with this in my own life. Lord, you promised me that if I would stay still and not try to figure out everything you know, and if I would regulate my meditations, you told me something that we always read over and don't contend with. You told me my leaf would not wither. Now, I know you don't realize what that means, but when you are a tree, the average tree is under the submission to whatever season it is. When something goes on around a tree, it's going to show up in them leaves. When something goes on in the weather, in the atmosphere, and what this promise says is no matter what's going on around you, whoo, I'm about to run, no matter what's happening in the atmosphere, no matter what's going on in the environment, when you are a tree planted, your wither stays effective. You're getting ready to be rich in the winter, rich in the springtime, rich in the fall, rich in the April, rich on Pentecost, rich for Thanksgiving, rich in October. God's getting ready to give you an all-season success. And I know that scares you because you are used to seasonal victories, but your leaf will not wither. I've been connected to the source, so my leaf will not wither. It may hurt, but it ain't going to fall. I'm like a tree. Now, if this don't hit you, if this don't hit you, then you ain't saved for real. One of my, back to my intelligent voice, one of my favorite biblical words is heretofore. I also like hitherto. 
I also like peradventure. I also like therefore. I also like whereunto. But here's one you got to shout with me on. I just need 20. Look at what David said. A tree in this context is going to be just as planted and solid like Jesus. And there's going to be a couple of things they always walk in. No matter how old they get, they're going to have fruit. No matter when the season changes, they're going to have fruit. I'm going to make them an example and an exemplar, which means that certain things God is doing for you, not because of you, but the favor of God is coming upon your life to bring the fear of the Lord that those that are watching, God's going to bless you to break somebody through. How many of you know God can bless you as an evangelism tool? And there are folk watching your life right now. That's like whatever God did for her. If he is no respecter of persons, he's got to do it for me. Because I wasn't jealous, God's going to give me favor. That's going to break through in the boardroom. Break through in the courtroom. Break through in the hospital room. Break through on the couch. Break through on the porch. Break through on the island. Break through on the strip. Shout hallelujah. Now here at Crystal, here is what I'm contending with. My leave will never fade. I could be going through all kinds of stuff, but you ain't going to know it because he's going to uphold me. Glory to God. And then the second promise is this. What? (laughs) I said, what? I said, what? It's not therefore, but it's. It's not here unto, but it's, it's not peradventure, but it's, it's not verily, verily I say, but it's, and what that means is that you can trust up and you still going to get blessed. You can open in front of any door and God's going to find a way to favor you. Even if you fall, he's going to make it work for you. Say whatsoever. When a man is stable, they can try stupid stuff and it'll still work out for them. It's the whatsoever rule. And if that don't bless you, then shout off this. Jesus said, if you touch and agree and ask anything in my name, whatsoever I can't get no help back there whatsoever say yeah say yeah say yeah touch three people say whatsoever whatsoever tell them whatsoever tell them whatsoever all nations get ready for options get ready for options Somebody say glory. Woo. What's the name of your season? Whatsoever. What's the name of what you're walking in? Whatsoever. Listen, God is going to deliver you from a fear of missing him. Because when you are a tree planted, even your mistakes have a miracle. Even if I get it wrong, God's going to make it right. Scream whatsoever. Scream whatsoever. The conclude of this is the ungodly are not so. For they are like a chaff and a wheat driven away. The main point of this is you must pursue stability. When you say I'm like a tree, it has nothing to do with how you are externally. And everything to do with what it 
takes to move you off the last thing God said to you. See, the real problem is we can do a lot of stuff in church that makes us appear stable. But if you lose your stability, every time something happens, you cannot be like a tree. The tree becomes a biblical exemplar of the Christian because it represents that God gave us the power to be stable. I don't have to move. Now, that doesn't necessarily just mean a physical place. For some of you, it has everything to do, watch me, with how far you migrate and how far you deviate from the instruction of God. If God says to you, I've called you to this, and then they start ticking you off, and you walk away from this because of them, then what happened is you now have lost your stability. And when you lose your stability, the only thing next is insanity. This is why you've got to be very careful about punctually obeying God. Because the objective of the devil is to make you lose your mind. If Jesus says, I am the tree of life, then a part of what we've got to admire in our Savior is his extremely profuse resilience. I know you're going to betray me betray me, but I'm not going to let the behavior in you dictate my reaction. Say, I'm a tree. He looked at Peter and said, I know you're armor bearing me right now, and I know you say you love me, but you're going to turn on me, but don't worry about it. Look at this conversation. I know you're going to betray me, but I'm not moved by it because I prayed for you. So when you're done with your little temper tantrum, do what I told you to do. That was the counsel of a man that was a tree. That was a counsel of a man who knew the power of being planted and not moving off the principle of God. You never have justification for disobedience. I've been preaching 20 years now. Started in November 99. I have never seen such a war on stability in my life. And it has nothing to do with money and opportunity and everything to do with internal resolve. If we're honest, many of us could not face what the Apostle Paul faced and still say, but I am persuaded. If we're honest, many of us have not reached the point of our maturity where we could get hit on our back and still say, Father, forgive them. The story started on a tree. And ended on a tree. Stop. Hallelujah! I'm sorry. In the book of Galatians, it says, Cursed is the man that dies on a tree. What I just told you is stability is your key to break the curse. If you become more stable, we'll work with your father. Hey, and we'll work with your gra- hey, 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 we'll work with your grandfather. It does not have to work about you because stability is a decision. It's not an impartation. It's not a phenomenon. It is a personal decision that's born from personal discipline. Shout stable! done you cannot you cannot be a mentally healthy pimp the bible says solomon inherited the devils of his daddy 
And whenever you don't break the curse, you become the double portion of whatever your father was. David was distracted because he was tired. He was not horny. He was tired. And when men and women are tired, they don't do smart stuff. He was exhausted. He just came out of battle, and he didn't want another battle. If you contextualize the scripture, y'all act like it was lust alone, but it was actually loneliness. And when loneliness is unchecked, it can grow into lust. Anyway, the kings were out to war. David was at home because he didn't want to be a king that day, and he wanted what he wanted. The real parenthetical history of that story is, had he waited two weeks, Pepta, two weeks, he could have got his wife anyway. See, Uriah was already on his way to the front line, which means that if he was patient, if he really wanted her, he could have had her without the crime. But when you're not stable, when you don't like what God called you to do, when you're mad at your assignment and mad at your program, you do what you would like to do to express your unstable self. The king could not afford to be impatient. That same tendency fell on his son. And literally, literally, he ended up dividing himself among so many wives that the only way God could bring him to stability, if you read the story, Christian, is the Bible says, and the spirit of the Lord aroused an enemy for him. God anointed an adversary to go to Solomon to pull him out of the trap of strange women. Sometimes it takes hardship to focus you. When things are going well, you don't realize how distracted you are. If you are in here and you have had a sudden loss of comfort, hear the word of the Lord. What God is trying to do is temporarily remove your comfort so he can restore your concentration. In the name of Jesus, I loose the word of God to your stability, your mental stability, your emotional stability, your physical stability. You will be like a tree. going to take effort to move you. Uh, It's going to take effort to move you. Make Satan wisen up his attack. If it worked last year, it should not be working this year. (laughs) Many of you make Satan's work easy because you're typical. He knows what buttons to push what people to use, what stuff to touch. The greatest warfare weapon you could have is you make the devil change his strategy. Glory, I am stable now. So you're going to have to try something else. If the attack has been the same, then the truth is you've not matured. Because a sign of your maturity is a different attack. A new one. And for some of you, the attack has been so feverish. It's been so bitter. It's been like a hostile assault on you. The devil is not trying to hurt your feelings. He's trying to hit your stability. Because then you won't flow in innovation. You won't flow in forgiveness. All of that is a flow. And... Uh, If the devil wants to take out a whole family, all he's got to do is hit the stability of that head. There are husbands in here. Husbands, 
that have been under strong, strong assault, not just of the power of depression, but the spirit of rage. And, and it hasn't found an outlet yet because you don't know exactly who to blame for your anger. But God is delivering you by the Spirit of God this morning from the, watch me, watch me. It's resentment. Many of you have resentment at the life you've had to live. And uh, some of you have resentment at your calling. And you know it's not Christian to admit it, but you're mad at your assignment. Because of the social requirement. Man, I am. Many of you are angry at your mother for who she didn't know to be. (laughs) Mad at your father for trying to be what nobody was to him. And you're resentful, resentful, mad. Why? Why me? And your resentment has turned into delayed obedience. Because I'm mad at where I've been. Some of you are mad at where you are. Didn't finish school or you thought you would be married by now, married by now. And you're mad at all relationships and you have no trust. This is an issue of stability. You can make that decision today. I said you can make that decision today. There are, I'm going to close up. There are three realms. Pay attention, I'm going to pray for you. Uh, this morning, I, I'm releasing the word of the Lord to your IQ, your literal intelligence quotient. For where you're going next, you've got to be smarter than what you are. It does not mean that you're not smart. It means that every level demands a new depth of intelligence. Say yes. I'm also releasing the word of the Lord to your EQ. Your emotional quotient is about to change. That has everything to do with your reactions and your responses. Nothing to do with other people. But your discipline in moments of hardship. Say yes. Here is the third one we don't talk enough about. You need a higher AQ. That is your adaptability quote. There are people who have a high IQ. And a poor AQ, which means I'm so smart, I hate change. And I don't know how to handle, watch me, environments where things are unpredictable. Sometimes intelligent people won't control. They won't control. So if they can't see the outcome or the aftermath, they won't move. They become inflexible, influent. That's a poor AQ. You need all three for where you're going next. Lift your hands in here. Father, in the strong name of Jesus, let the power and the wind of the Holy Ghost begin to do something in the IQ of everyone here. I'm asking that you would begin to unlock portions and regions of their brain that they've never used before. (laughs) Begin to blow, Spirit of God, uh, on their cerebral self. I call them unlocked. I say that their thoughts are not stifled. I say that they have no writer's block, uh, that they are not under mental restraint in Jesus' name. I command new test-taking ability. I command new test-taking power, new interviewing power, I command every answer that's locked in the environment to be downloaded through them brand new intelligence. You told the 12 that you would give them a word in wisdom. 
begin to pour out a spirit of knowledge, a spirit of understanding, even like you did for Daniel, that gave him an excellent spirit because of how he thought. Let a brand new excellence come upon every life here. Come on, in the name of God's Christ, I decree the word of God. Yes, even the sword of the spirit to your emotional self. Lift your hands. I command the spirit of grief, the spirit of sadness, the spirit of heaviness to come out of your emotional makeup in the name of Jesus. Abnormal sensitivity, ungodly reactions, ungodly responses, dualism operating in your emotional self. I command regulation to your memory. Oh yes, I command regulation to your conversation, regulation in the realm of your emotions. You ungodly spirit of depression. I rebuke you now. I curse you at the root. You will not hold these lives down. Those that have resentment over how old they are. I declare over your heart that time is your friend. Time is your friend. Time is your friend. Time is your friend. And the Lord holds your times in his hands. Thank you Jesus that their weeping is no more. That their mourning is no more. But you're doing the work in them emotionally. Finally my God I pray for their AQ. Help them to not be overwhelmed by change. Help them to not to be discouraged by process. Help them to not be frustrated because they don't know what you're doing next. Yes Lord help them to follow your voice when they don't see what you're doing. Help them to remain restrained. Remain obedient and confident in times of great transition. Help them to trust you. Help them to trust you. Help them to trust you. Help them to trust you in the name of Jesus and I'm praying this morning that you would untie the coils of mistrust begin to burn the knot of mistrust and help them to grow from strength to strength and faith to faith in the name of Jesus who is our rock and our tree we give your name the glory come on I want you to give God the loudest shout I say give God the loudest shout I want to hear the praise of a stable person come on devil I'm not perfect but I'm stable I got some flaws but I'm stable you can't move me devil listen we this culture shouts and dances over everything material if I told you your husband was coming or that you'll be a millionaire tomorrow you'd be elbowing your neighbor rolling on the floor I just gave you the key to every promise of God I said I just gave you the key listen I'm going to give you a chance to fix it. In that same verse where the Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, we've never really meditated on the next verse. Here's what it says. Let not that man think he will receive anything from God. I just told you the way to get everything from God. And many of you have seen yourself unstable 
if you are here, ha ha, in San Bernardino, California, 109, and you brushed your own teeth this morning, you put on your own clothes. Nobody had to help you make up your mind to want God. You ought to give the Lord one more praise for stability. I said for stability. Come on, for, I need for stability. I'm making a decision to be stable. Come on, stability. Hey, oh, there you go. Hey, come on, bless him. Come on. He will keep your mind. Hey, he will keep your mind. He will keep your mind in perfect peace. Come on, praise him. Whose mind is stayed on him. Hey, hey, hey. Glory. And the peace of God. I said, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall guard your heart. Glory.